sitting here with, with Greg Slater with Nest Realty. I'm Jim Duncan with Nest Realty. Just looking at um, where the, the Charlotte Mall regional market is. Um, we're in the first part of October. Uh, and it's it's funny. With Nest, we've got 50-some-odd agents here. And I think collectively, uh, the sense is that the market is slowing, not just seasonally, but systemically. You know, even though we have interest rates that are you know, 3.5%, 4%, whatever, and the buying power for a lot of people is, is increased. But it feels like you know, we're in the first week of October that we're seeing a slowing down that we're accustomed to on an annual basis, but also feels familiar from a decade ago. But what are you what are you seeing from a from a data perspective, and what's your what's your sense? Well, Greg? from the f- before I get to the data, the f- the feeling side was the summer. You know, we go through July and August, and things pr- feel pretty slow. And it's like okay, right. it felt this way last year, and then we had a nice little pickup in the fall. Well, right. that little pickup in the fall of showing activity, at least isn't there, at least in my inventory listings, which is pretty broad spectrum of price points in, uh, in the, the area in general. Um, I wish we could we could get that data you guys worked on years ago of the lockbox acti- activity. Right. That would be very helpful right now because the, all these sales start with showings. And mm-hmm. um, I, I have a lot of conversations with agents that are talking about how they're counseling their um, home sellers through a lack of traffic. Right. right? It's, it's, it's hard. It's hard to read no activity. It, it's easier to read showings that don't re- result in offers than it is to read no activity. Well, uh, it's harder on the seller, too, because the seller, if they're a good seller, they're leaving the house every day in showing condition. And, you know, that's work. Oh, it's stressful. It, it's, it's stressful it's to be on the market, and especially if you're one of those people who really wants to present their house as every light on, as good as possible. Uh, every day is a routine that becomes a little strenuous. Right. Um, but from a from a data level... Uh, we're not seeing the same thing yet in the numbers, and so maybe we're just feeling the bleeding edge of a shift. But uh, you know, this year, by the time is all said and done, we're gonna we're gonna look at some numbers that look pretty consistent with last year. Um, I mean, it seems like there. I mean, you look you look purely at the data, and sales numbers are 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 up for the most part. Yeah, the, no, the builders are doing well. Uh, sales are up. Just contracts written this year are up thirteen uh, percent for new construction, and that's. That's part of uh, the challenge for some sellers. They may not realize they're competing with new construction. Some segments of our markets, the builders are doing very well. You I know? mean, I, 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 my sense is that from new construction, most price points are competing with new in our market, whether it's you know, head-to-head. You know, you're looking at, you've, you have a $650,000 resale, and you're definitely competing with, with new construction. Or you're a, you know, a $500,000 $500, resale, and you're competing with new. Or you're a three hundred, dollars and you're competing with people who are – you know, it's it's odd that I see people will will look at three to three to four hundred for resale, realize they don't have the fifty, eighty thousand dollars cash, to do the renovations to make it you know quote unquote modern, and then they end up spending five hundred or five fifty, on on new, so it's it's hard to 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 make sense of what's actually happening sometimes. Yeah. So one of the indicators I've always looked at was the percentage of new construction to the, just the overall market as a percentage of sales and coming out of the recession or, um, we were always hovering around that 20% mark, you know, by 2016, it got up to 23%. Well, we're up in the 26, 27% range now for three years running. Right. Uh, but you break it down further and it gets even more interesting under 500. It's 21%. But over from five hundred to a million, the builders are getting over forty percent of the sales, and that's a pretty telling figure to me because what it tells me is that the 
we're making. I think the builders are responding to the market. They're getting a higher. Per, they're getting a high percentage of the sales in the lower segment of the market because we need more of that product, and they're scrambling to find places to build townhomes and things right. they can sell. They'd love to have stuff to sell in the two hundreds. That's not really achievable around Albemarle and Charlottesville. It's right. happening in some of the other localities. But the, honestly, they're trying to find places where they can build townhomes in the three hundreds because that is about as good as you can do. Right. No, you know we we. I'll reference the, <clears throat> the most recent Sweat the Details podcast with Jessica Louts. Um, and we were talking about longevity in, in homes. Like when I, when I practiced starting in 01, people would stay for three to five years, and then it was seven to ten years, then it was never during the crash. And now I think we're back to people are staying for seven to ten years and longer. Because a lot of the first-time homebuyers I'm working with, that's not their three- to five-year house or their, or their five- to seven-year house. That's their seven- to forever-year house. So with these new construction stuff, my sense is that a lot of these guys are looking to stay for 10 years minimum is that's, their goal. That's the conversation. That's their goal. And unless their employment's interrupted or something along those lines that causes a move, uh, I think they'll stick to it. Um, you know, personally, I, I have a lot of conversations with people that want to make that elective move. They don't really need to. Right. But by the time we really look at the situation and evaluate everything, they choose not to. To, to not move? Right. Yeah, you I know, do a lot I mean, of that too. <laughs> well, so the, the most common one I joke about is it's folks our age that have kids in high school or just graduated from high school, and they, they are anticipating or just become what they consider to be an empty nest. I'm like, your kids are just going to college. You're not an empty nest yet. but they're If they're, they're lucky that uh, they are. Right, but they're <laughs> forecasting that need to make a housing change. And I'm right. like, pump your brakes. It's yeah. maybe not quite right time to do that yet. Uh, but also, I mean, I, I, do, I do counsel people that, the the kids tend to not come back as often as they as the parents would like them to. You know, when when the when the kids go out and they have their kids, they don't come back. I mean, they don't generally come back to to spend Thanksgiving and Christmas and Easter and holiday, whatever that might be. Yeah. So, but my point is less about whether or not they come back, and it's just the emotional experience they're going through causes them to be impulsive. Right. I, it's. Have you ever worked with uh, a medical resident who just got it finished with nine years of education and got their first salary? Mm-hmm. They're ready to go buy something, right. and, and it's a, sometimes it's a little too early, and you need to figure out what's going on with yeah. what you really want and how your life might change in the next 10 years because it's hard to make a 10-year decision for a lot of people, and mm-hmm. they do it impulsively, and things change quickly. Yeah, I think it's, you know, before we run into the numbers a little more, I mean, one of the things I think that we do, if we do it well, is we slow people down. You know, we, we've, we've, we've done this before and we've seen this before when they're seeing something new for the first time. And we're able to say if they, most of my clients trust me. You know, when the clients trust you, you're able to say, hang on now. Just get through the next nine months or 10 months and figure out what life is and then you can, then we can have this conversation. Yeah, and it, even if they get further into the process, so it's, how often do you have someone looking at homes and you ask them about a home and they're like, yeah, we saw that online, but we didn't want to see it, but you knew that was something they should see, whether just for context. Right. And, and you have to make them go see something. They re- the, the online filter can be good or bad. Yeah. And people can, because I often find myself t- telling people, it, when in doubt, go see it because things can feel very different in real person, in real life than they do right. on the internet. I mean, you know, part part of our role also is to give them. I call it giving them data points. You know, I know they're not going to buy this house, but they've got to see it. You know, they, they've got to see this house just to throw it into the equation. So when they do make that buying decision, they're able to say, "Okay, I I, I feel I feel better about about this conversation." Um, looking at volume, 
resales versus new construction, but total, what are you seeing in the city and county? What do you mean, total volume? Yeah, year over year. Uh, I want to see if our numbers match up. I don't track that, to be honest with you. Really? Um, The last number I pulled related to volume was I was looking at just – I was just getting ready to run the September new construction sales because what I follow is the contracts and new construction each month. And I actually go back about five years comparing, like, March, 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 you know, over time. And, you know, we're having another really strong year with growth. But, you know, for example – Last uh, September, there were 60 sales for $25 million, and this September, there were 66 sales for uh, $29 million. Um, but mm-hmm. as far as the overall market, we, I know the home, the home, home volumes are right. going up. Well, I mean, for, I, so I, I did. I, I pulled the, the totals for 19 and 18 because I, I think that there's a lot of value for, for that conversation about looking at the long-term trends. But just getting a sense of what's, what's happening in the market today, I, I look at the year-over-year and I looked at you know January through September, and in the city, uh, last year they had 300, 386 sales, forty nine of which were new construction, and this year there were four hundred twenty one sales. How much were new construction? Forty seven, in, in just in the city. Yeah, the city's tough because of the the What's difficulty t- to find places. To it's build. ten square miles. I mean, they're not adding yeah, land. The city's tough. Uh, in the county, it was uh, thirteen eighty seven last year. Um, and thirteen sixty five so far this year, and the new construction percentage was up significantly in the county, because there's there's so much I mean, there's so much building going on in all in all areas of the growth areas, that it's a, you know it's a you know, it, it's interesting to see that 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 percentage continues to grow of new construction year over year. Yeah, so the number I was following throughout the year when we came in, you look at the first quarter sales mm-hmm. year over year, closed sales was off. And, it, and, it, well, that, and every month, fall. It, right? And it started getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Where we haven't completely closed the gap, but I, and and there's a couple reasons for that. The new construction sales take longer to close, right? Right. And when they are a greater percentage of the market, there's going to be a longer lag time each year for those closed transactions to hit the um, to hit the uh, the data. Uh, I I really think by the end of the year we're going to be talking about neg- negligible differences in closed transactions. Um, I'm looking. At, it's I'm, pretty even. I'm going to pull the pen, in November. I'm going to pull the pendings to see sort of where you know where God, it's 2020, where 2020 might be, because um, I think looking at the actives and the pendings, I think gives a better sense for me as to what's actually happening, and not not the new construction for for me for getting a sense of what what a lot of my clients are because is looking at the resales. You have to break it out for sure. You know, it is is harder because the the new construction also, I mean. What, how many? We have four big builders. Yeah, so we have four big builders, and I pulled the numbers this morning. Uh, those four big builders represent seventy percent of the new construction market, and then there are twenty-eight other builders competing for the other thirty percent. You know, that's the outside of the top four. Well, the, the, you want to see just contracts written year to date. Right. Ryan Holmes has hit one hundred sixty-seven through September, and Stanley Martin has hit one hundred fifty-four. Those are huge numbers. What were those last like? Do you, do you have last uh, they're year? ahead of last year's pace. I don't have it in front of me, but yeah. they're a little bit ahead. I I, I want to say last year Stanley ended these these guys ended pretty. They're going to break their numbers from last year. Yeah. Is the point you know, uh, Southern and Craig are a little more stable in their year over year activity. Right. And they're not in you know different builders had different sales plans right, and the the Ryan's and the Stanleys are their sales plan as many as we can get pure volume. That's right. Uh, you know, outside of those top four, Liberty Homes is up to 42. And then you know, and they're, can, they're in the outer areas. They're going to be in the lower price points in the outer areas. Yeah. 
Can you guess which builder that's emerged in the last five years has moved up into the number five spot? Ooh. It'll be obvious to you when I say it. I mean, I would almost say, almost say peak. It's Evergreen. Really? It's well, Evergreen. They, they had all the CNO well, stuff. Well, well, they've just made 10 sales in Highland Park, too, in the last 60 days. You know, another, you think of the timing of half acre com, lot communities, you know? Right. You, you had Highland Ridge hit all by itself. And it was a forest fire. And then you had Oak Hill <laughs> Farm hit by itself. It was a forest fire. And now Highland Park is hit right when Oak Hill ended. If all three right. of those hit at the same time, it's a completely different environment for sales. I mean, Oak there. Hill just annihilated that market. They sold they sold thirty or forty homes before they got the street in. Yeah. And, and it's also that that impacted the Mosby and Redfields for that short period of time significantly. And it's a conversation I have with clients a lot is what impact is, is that new going to have on my resale? I mean, it's going to probably kill you for about 18 months. Yeah, you know, in the higher end of Crozet, I have, you, when you start looking at the 7, 800, 900 stuff and what you can buy in Westlake from Craig and Stanley, and what I'm finding is there is still a purse. Some people will take new of a little bit lesser quality location or neighborhood. Or, right. You know, there's a premium for Old Trail. Right, and there's a premium for Brownsville versus Crozet Elementary, yeah. honestly. Oh, yeah. But I find people are choosing shiny and new with uh, bigger square footages. Maybe that full finished awesome basement is more important to them than that premium for a better location. I looked or, at, or even a higher quality construction. So on that, I, I looked at the, at the square, the average average square footage in Crozet and Brownsville last year. Uh, it was, if I did my math right, it's about 3,100 square feet. For just single family, take, pulling the townhouses out of it in Crozet and Brownsville in 2018. And so far this year, it's 3,500. That's not surprising. Which, Big as a Vogue again. It's sad. It's sad and it's distressing and it's, it's awful. Well, but it's not surprising. If you bring it all the way back we to are the Americans. demographic conversation you had with the, the lady from the NAR, right. you know, building big homes may not be the best long term prospect because that's not what we're missing in the marketplace what no. we're missing in the marketplace is smaller homes for smaller families well and it's also for people who are who value their their lifestyle of being out of the house i mean i think that a lot of people at least through my lens and my clients they want smaller better spaces in better locations so they can go and have fun instead of spending their time heating cooling cleaning 3,501 square feet big giant bedrooms they sleep in yeah only which make but yeah. so why don't the builders build that? The, look, the, the you know the parade is uh, coming up this weekend and next. It's, right, it's always a great in place for, if you want to go kind of figure out where the builders' minds are. This is your best opportunity because they're going to lead with things that they where they think the market is going or what's hot right now in all regards, whether right. it's stylistically or floor plan wise. And no, they're feeling the demand for the bigger stuff. In, on these, when they find the places to build these half acre, these half acre home sites, right? People still want big traditional homes. When you get into the smaller home sites, it, things start to get a little more efficient, and the home sizes get to be a little more right sized. The other thing they're chasing, though, just like Pleasant Green, is they're all looking for places where they can go build townhomes yeah. uh, that will hit those lower price points. And you know, we've a couple of these builders. They're not going to reflect in our numbers, but they are over in the valley now. They've moved over there and started buying property. Stanley Martin's moved to the Valley. Ryan Holmes has moved over to the Valley. Mm -hmm. um, this is probably hearsay. And in the in world we live in, we have to be careful about <laughs> hearsay. But uh, the land manager for Toll Brothers is under contract to build a home in Old Trail right now, and I'm told they have made offers on 
for lots in communities that are getting ready to uh, where they're actually selling lots before the development work has started. Right. And uh, but I'm also told they haven't been successful yet. So now, when we when we talk about uh, the height of the market back in 2004, 2005, when we got to the number of sales, when we get into that five, six hundred new home sales per year. That's when we attract bigger builders from out of the area because they start to perceive this market as having enough activity for them to worthwhile to be here and operate. Do you think that we're stepping back a bit? Do you think we're nearing a recession? Uh, for in general, the in gen- economy in, gen- there- in general economy. I mean, and I, and I say that because you know, reading a lot of you know. I, you can you can read anything. You can read that the economy is booming. Like NER says that the inventory is is for you know for, for for the foreseeable future. We don't have enough inventory on the market, and we can't you know we can't produce enough. And so we're not going to have a housing recession. And I read all this stuff saying that job market is is not quite as stable as we, we would want it to be, and that we might be looking at a recession. It's so hard to answer. You know, we we have to try to remember the last time we went through. A major recession it was so cataclysmic it's difficult to look at it and and think about some of the really crazy things that caused it we there were a lot of clues we missed back then right there were some crazy but as far as i'm concerned the recession now if if you're going to say we've had 10 or 11 years of economic expansion and it's the longest that's ever happened in yeah sooner or later the, the the market's cyclical and we have to slow down and then once you start slowing down after a run like that the bears take over and yeah and then artificially one of the smartest things i ever heard said was there was actually an economic summit by the realtors alan greenspan spoke at in like 2009 or 2010 or kind of the depth of right the challenges and, and he said everything's going to be okay you know why you can't hold the american consumer down but for so long it's all eighty percent psychological. So I think for no other reason there'll be psychological reasons we enter into a recession here at some point because it's just been going on. People get to the point where they've bought everything they need to buy and they feel like they need to start saving money. And even just when saving rate, rates go up, you can spark right a recession. So yeah, it, one's coming. But in the, on the real estate side, I, I just hope you know. I think some of this data is going to show us that appreciation, if it hasn't slowed all the way to a stop yet, it's closed. The question is how far past appreciation slowing till we get to a point that's receding. And, right. And it's going to be impossible to predict. And like you've said, for your whole career, we'll know after it happens and we look back and figure it out. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I think the, the sense is, you know, at least my sense is that and it really hasn't changed since the crash, that buy a house for a minimum five to seven years, and you should be fine, you know. But I think you, if you're looking at it as a commodity, that you buy it in 2019 and plan to sell it in 2021, you should expect to lose money. Yeah, and one of my challenges with people in that regard is the the lack of understanding they have for how much the transaction really cost, and they think whether or not they lost or made money is whether or not they got more or less than they paid for the house. Right, and, and that's definitely not the case. Uh, that when I got into the first place I sold uh, new homes in a model home was in the late '90s in Lake Cronovia, and we told everybody that came through that door that you buy a new home, you can break even if you own it five years. Yeah. And I think that's still true. And and you get back to people staying in their homes longer. That some of the more analytical people I work with, like my next door neighbor who's a CPA, he doesn't just look he he's his family's right at that point where he could move up. The basement would change his life. He can afford to move. He's owned his home for over ten years. He was one of the pioneers of Old Trail. He has something that's 
But you know what he looks at and why he doesn't do it? He looks at how far he is and he is into his amortization schedule. And he, if so, if he's down to, you know, sixty percent of the payments to pay his home off, you know, he doesn't want to go back to I've got three hundred and sixty payments to go right. to pay my home off. He right. he's figured it out that every month he's paying so much toward it's. It makes more financial sense to stay put. Being able to pay principal over interest is kind of nice. Sure. You know, after that ten-year period, you start you, you you hit that flip you flip that switch, if you will. Yeah, but so many people's mindset are just whether or not that monthly payment fits into their overall budget. You know, and and that honestly, this is yeah. a lot of times builders sell new homes like they sell new cars. You're right. Yeah. Monthly payment. How much do you make per month? Well, if it's you can get your payment here, wouldn't that be comfortable for you? Right. Yeah. yeah but it's you know. Everybody's selling something. Um, what's when you're when you're advising your clients? I'm, I'm curious your answer. It, I tend to look at the when I, we're, when we're I have a buyer we're making an offer. I look at the actives and the pendings more than I do the solds to help establish value. Sure. Are you the same? Do you mean I, I look at all of it? Or sure. I, mean, I look at I mean I look at all of it, but the if there's a sold from four months ago, that that market from four and a half months ago could be very different than the one that. We're looking at today with the actives and the pendings. Well, it's, uh, look, I look at all of it, and I make my client aware of all of it so they can make as good decisions as they can because with any negotiation for a buyer, it, it's hard to really figure out their motivation level. And I always say, I don't want to help you make an offer that causes you not to get this house, and then you hate me because you really wanted it. Right. You know, it's, at the end of the day, I give advice, you make decisions. But, yeah, you look at all of it, and then when you present that offer and you start negotiating with the other agent, you, you use the data that helps your client the most. And mm-hmm. if there were three other listings in a comparable price range that could be suitable, you use that information to your advantage for yeah. sure. Um, That's why whenever someone comes, whenever someone, come, someone comes to me with a question, my first question is, is it the buy, do, we, do you have the buyer or the seller? Depends on your perspective. Yeah, it, it really does. Um, new construction, where do you see next 2020 being? Good, uh, bad, ugly. Really strong year. I, I think it'll be good. I don't. Yeah. I don't think there's any slowdown. Any they, they, the builders have the right lots in the right places. Uh, there's enough of it in the heart of the market for them to keep keep going. Um, I'm very interested to see what the impact of uh, you know we're Crozet guys and you've got mm-hmm. two apartment complexes that will open in the next twelve months for rent and then you've got Pleasant Green. They broke ground at Pre- Pleasant Green. You know that's two hundred townhomes and a hundred villas. I mean that's a that's a significant amount of inventory in Crozet right there. Not they can improve the schools and the roads, right? No, never, never mind. Well, no, they're no not. I thought people weren't making – we're not making any more <laughs> kids. We don't need to improve the schools. It's funny. I was at the Crozet meeting last – or this week, and um, it, was, it was interesting. They had like the, the county had this roundtable type thing and breakouts and had put up a picture of the types of housing you would support, apartments and single family and – fourplex and duplex and all this and, and all this and nobody chose apartments sadly too many people chose single-family homes but whatever and the the moderator from the county said so so i saw nobody picked apartments and some and she said why and you know four or five people said because they're ugly because they're awful and just went on this tirade about how bad these these two massive gargantuan apartment complexes are and people listened and voiced their opinions. And then one guy says, so, uh, yeah, so I'm managing the one on Blue Ridge Avenue. <laughs> and, and he said, I, I, you know, we're doing the best we can. You know, it's, you know they had a plan for, for these apartments, and we're trying to find our footing and what the rentals are, what the rents are going to be. 
But it's it's going to be interesting to see what happens with one and two bedroom apartments in Crozet when you've got you're dropping what four hundred units, yeah, into the market in the next twelve months. It's interesting, you know. We talked about those three communities that all if they all showed up at the same time, how different the world would have been. Right. It's happening in Crozet right now. Some of this is showing up at the same time. It's a, which yeah. will impact how these things go. But there's there's some pretty healthy rents on these. You know, we haven't seen the numbers for the one in Old Trail, but we've seen the numbers for the one on Jarman's Gap. Um, but yeah, we're just gonna have to wait and see. I tend to think these folks aren't making investments that big if they don't have some very strong data that shows we need more one and two bedroom right. houses. Because I uh, another demographic stat, I forget where I got it. Oh, it was the NAHB economics guy was right. here earlier in the year, and he was talking about uh, the percentage of four bedrooms homes that were occupied by one or two people right yeah. we've got a bunch of one or two person households living in very large homes with three four five bedrooms and, and at the end of the day if we really want this all to work out people need to live in the right size you mean people uh, need to make make better decisions I about guess, where they I live guess. but it's a free country and everybody gets to do what they want yeah and right yeah their resources. absolutely i believe in that um on that i think i'm gonna just close it out and say uh i think that I think that 2019 is going to end up being, a, being a, a healthy year from a data perspective. I think we have some psychological challenges we need to work through uh, as we end the year. I think 2020 is going to be interesting to see the number of, of transactions and the number of, of agents that are participating in, in transactions. I think that uh, my advice to anyone listening to this is, from a consumer pers- perspective, hire your representation well. You know, it's... If you, if you find somebody who's done one or two transactions in the last three years, my, my perspective is they probably aren't competent to, to represent you because you need to be doing uh, a lot of transactions to know this market. An agent that I won't name, who was kind of a, a mentor to me years ago, he said, uh, you know, you need to be doing, I think he said 10 or 15 transactions a year. In, in his words was, if you're doing less, you're not screwing up enough to get better. And, that need, and I, I wouldn't put that on my business card. Right. But you need to be doing enough volume to, to be good at what you do. You need to be, I mean, I, I consider myself practicing the craft. You need to be practicing on a daily basis. You know, after 22 years of doing this, I think I figured out when I watch the agents that are getting into it and doing less or the people that dabble in it, you don't know what you don't know. Right. And it's the experiential element of whether it's negotiating or managing the emotions of your client and, and helping them find their way to the information that helps them make the best decision for them. All these things you can't really read about or in a book. It, you right. have to experience it. And, uh, yeah, after hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of transactions, you, you just start to get a feel for things that's hard to explain. And mm-hmm. one of the things I find myself trying to work on the most is, is taking 22 years of market data and the peaks and valleys and trying to put it in a context that someone who only wants to deal with it for about 30 or 60 days why they have to interact with the market, help them understand just their small little window of it so they can make a good decision for them. To make it meaningful context. I mean, I tell my clients that my one of the many roles that I fill is to make them as knowledgeable, if not more so, on their particular market band than I am because they're the ones who are spending 600, 600 grand. And when that time comes, they need to be able to feel comfortable with their decision. And so we need to give the right information at the right time so that it's interpreted accurately. Hey, the best example, I was in a negotiation for a home in the – it was in the 800s. It was, it was a hard challenge for mm-hmm. my clients to let go of this, and they were at the point they just were going to 
not take the offer and go back to the market. And I did a unique analysis in that window of time where they were making that decision to say, okay, this is what it looks like. If you go back, we're going to, we're listening today. Mm -hmm. Let's go look at it again. And uh, in less than five minutes, they said, we'll sign it. Yeah. Yeah. In the right context, the right timing matters. Yeah. So Greg, thanks, man. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it.